the second pick, the Philadelphia Eagles select Donovan McNabb, quarterback, Syracuse University. Don't move. Hello again and welcome to another edition of the Boo Birds podcast. He's John Sager. I'm Joe Greenwich. John, it's it's been a while since we recorded. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, a little bit uh, too long. This is our second ever uh, hiatus. <laughs> and they were like back-to-back hiatuses with only a couple of episodes in between. Normally, what happens here is I go and I say something, you know, I, I make some sort of dumb joke or, or, or say something funny, and then you hit me with a sledgehammer of a serious news item. I want to just address right off the top of the, of the show here and prevent you from doing that. If you would like to tell everybody why we didn't record last week before I make a stupid joke leading into it. As often uh, as you've fallen into those traps, either intentionally or unintentionally, might I add, they're not always, uh, you know, the, the best laid of plants. My grandfather uh, passed away about a week ago, uh, so we had to, to take a little break. Um, I did want to mention, as we were kind of reminiscing uh, about him, he was uh, 96 years old, and he's very instrumental in my love of sports and my family's love of sports, as uh, definitely happens. Sports is a very generational thing. Uh, some of that stemmed from him being a coach. He's actually... Uh, inducted into the high school that he coached at into their hall of fame about a decade ago. And that was something I was reminiscing about with my, uh, with my mom recently, because you rarely get to see that, especially when you, um, you know, get to that, you know, generation where you get to see them share a special moment like that, because a lot of times that happens, you know, well before you're old enough as an adult to appreciate it. But, you know, our whole family was there. And when I was looking back at his stats this week as a, as a coach, I was kind of reminded of, you know, some things. Uh, his football teams went, this is in upstate New York. Uh, he went 39 and 13, uh, including a couple of undefeated county championships. And then his basketball teams went 291 and 158, which is a 65% winning percentage. That's so your pretty... grandfather was not Rich Coatsite is what you're saying. No, uh, but <laughs> probably the most memorable stat that he has is one, which was the one technical foul he was assessed during his coaching career. How many years did he coach basketball? It was a few seasons. I don't have the exact, the exact number. He was a teacher for 30 years. Fun fact, he was actually retired longer than he worked. That is something that I aspire to, but will not be able to achieve, I'm sure. So in all of that time, sounds like he coached over 400 games. How do you only get one technical foul? Like you he, get a couple by accident coaching basketball nowadays. He either dropped his glasses or his clipboard and the ref thought it was intentional and <laughs> gave him the technical. And apparently he was mortified about it. And it was always sort of a stain on his record, you know, something that we could laugh about, but you could probably tell, you know, he would rather not have had that happen. But it so, was so he wasn't Rich Cotite and he certainly wasn't Bobby Cox. Not as far as I know. <laughs> One weird generational thing. I can't remember if I've said this uh, on the podcast before 
is because they're from upstate New York and it was, you know, a different time with sports teams. He was a massive Celtics fan. And growing up, I thought because he was a Celtics fan and my dad was a Sixers fan and they seemed to get along that Sixers fans and Celtics fans inherently got along and it was a very cordial relationship. I later found out that wasn't true, but that's what sportsmanship, I suppose, is all about. My guess is his high school teams had a little bit more, uh, I would say, class and dignity in their county rivalries than the Celtics and Sixers have exchanged over the years. Well, John, we talked about it last week. The condolences of Boo Birds Nation with you and your family. Sounds like you and your grandfather had a lot in common, although I suspect you, you would probably be a little more fired up on the bench just for the sake of the show. I was probably more fired up about the Sixers-Knicks game the other night, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> well, speaking of the Sixers and Knicks, the Sixers 2-0 and this week. The Flyers uh, didn't quite have as good a week. Why don't you fill us in on everything that's happened since we last recorded? Hockey is back on ESPN. The NHL and worldwide leader agreed to a seven-year deal that opens up more than a thousand out-of-market games to ESPN+. Speaking of TV deals, the NFL announced a hundred billion, that's billion with a B, deal that will lay out the next decade of football watching. Amazon will take over Thursday night football. CBS, Fox, and NBC will retain their Sunday broadcast rights. ESPN will have another 10 years to try to get Monday Night Football right. Speaking of football, the NFL's legal tampering period began. I'm just going to summarize this by saying, wait, Carson Wentz was traded? What? By saying that most everyone went to New England and the Eagles signed safety Anthony Harris to a one-year deal. Yeah, we, we missed the actual consummation of the Wentz trade when it finally became official. I mean, who could have seen that coming? I know, right? We'll talk about that in a little bit. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Is there going to be a WNBA team in Philly? One of the WNBA's top stars, Natasha Cloud, said in an interview this week that people behind the scenes have been working on bringing an expansion franchise to Philly. And the Flyers are in a free fall, including a 9-0 loss last week. And if you thought that was bad, the other night I turned it on, they were losing 4-0. So, eh, not the not the best stretch for the Flyers since we last recorded. Yeah, they lost 9 nothing, and apparently Jake Arrieta didn't even pitch in that one. See, John, that is how you take a shot at Jake Arrieta out of nowhere. I mean, there's many ways to take a shot at Jake Arrieta out of nowhere. That's true, that's true. And now for our injury hotline. It's March, and the Phillies are picking up where they left off last year. The team is dealing with a rash of injuries for players, ranging from Adam Hazley to Zach Eflin. The Sixers are down two starters. Joel Embiid gave the Delaware Valley a mini stroke when he incurred a deep bone bruise. I'm not going to lie, I thought it was much worse, and I was so somewhat relieved when I saw that it was just the bone bruise. Seth Curry also sprained his left ankle in an overtime loss to the Bucks. And finally, Michigan State has announced a partnership deal with Rocket Mortgage University Athletics will be presented as MSU Spartans, presented by Rocket Mortgage. Hey Joe, what are we sponsored by? I mean... What are you drinking? John wasn't really uh, feeling very uh, energetic today, so I'm I'm just drinking coffee. But I do have a funny story about that cup of coffee. I uh, I tend to make them one at a time, 
with a Keurig machine, one of the older ones. Don't at me. I, I don't want to hear about your your French presses, about your coffee pot. I, I don't care. Uh, I, I make a cup of coffee in the Keurig, and uh, I pour my half and half in, and I, I mix it in my sweetener. And I didn't put that much in, but I, I really felt like the, the sweetener was kind of sludgy in the cup. And I was doing this kind of in the dark not too long before we recorded for no good reason. Uh, I turn the light on and I see that apparently something went terribly wrong in the Keurig brewing process and all of the coffee grounds have made their way into the mug and I was stirring up a cup of coffee grounds mixed with half and half and water and it was it was pretty gross and pretty traumatic. So I did what any normal person would do and I I just made another one and figured it would work and and, and it did. So to answer your question, I am drinking coffee. John, what are you drinking? Well, we missed our St. Patrick's Day episode last week, so a little Bailey's Irish cream. That was What Are You Drinking? Brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. Hey, it's worth a shot. John, we mentioned Carson Wentz finally, finally, finally getting traded to the Indianapolis Colts, a deal that was quote-unquote announced but not officially made. Feels like months ago. But Wentz goes to Indianapolis. There was the conversation that that whoever it was that wears number 11 for the Colts wasn't going to give up the number. And so Wentz will wear number two, which, I mean, kind of representative of how his 2020 season went. He was number two for most of it. But the change in number, the change in scenery, all, all go together for Wentz as he moves back to the Midwest, a little closer to where he's from, closer to his wife's family. Good for him, I guess. Uh, He's not here anymore, so good for us, I think. Now that we actually have freed ourselves of the hashtag Carson Wentz discourse, how do you feel? Me. (laughs) You're not even going to fake having a take on it? I mean, I thought that the last episode where we thought it was going to be the last time we talked about Carson Wentz was going to be the last time we talked about Carson Wentz. But here we are again talking about Carson Wentz. Honestly, I am ready to move on. I think it's just been far too long, too much of a drama. And I am ready to embrace Jalen Hurts or whoever is going to be taking snaps next year. Hopefully, they'll actually be having fun. Well, I don't really care if they're having fun. I just want them to do better than Carson Wentz did this year. Winning is nice. (laughs) This is episode 30. Uh, I would say that we've talked about Carson Wentz and probably 22 of them at least, but this really should be the last time because this was the last time where he was actually an Eagle and now he isn't anymore. The one thing that I I do want to say, and after the things I've said about him in our past couple of discussions, uh, which by the way, none of that has changed. He proved himself to be entirely too soft to be an NFL quarterback. Forget being a quarterback in Philadelphia. He was entirely too soft, not physically, but everything else, to to play in the NFL. He's going to need to work on that. He's going to need to tune out all the other stuff if he wants to be successful in this league. And if you'll remember, it was the fans, according to Jason Peters, it was the fans in Philadelphia who drove Carson Wentz out. I just want to reiterate the fans who are in the stands are the reason why Carson Wentz is no longer here. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about, though, because like th- there's this 
I don't really know how to describe it, but there's this this mindset and this attitude, and, and it, it kind of gets summed up by that, you know, Jason Kelsey speech at the art museum, you know, ripping off a song that had been sung at union matches, ripped off from Millwall in England. The whole no one likes us, we don't care. The whole Philly versus everybody thing. If you don't come in here and just gush about how great Philly is and the fans and and the history of the franchises and everything like that, you get treated like an enemy. All right. Carson Wentz is a guy who spends his free time hunting in the woods in North Dakota. There was no way that a guy like that is going to mesh with the people of the Philadelphia area personality wise. And he didn't have to. He doesn't have to. We don't have to embrace him as one of us. He wears the Eagles jersey. He plays for the Eagles. He's one of us in that sense, but he was never going to be one of us. Okay? So as he's leaving, now people want to rip him apart because of whatever. And it's like, why do we do this? Like, if you want to say that, you know, he clearly was not what he could have or should have been because he... He, he couldn't handle competition for his spot. He couldn't handle himself in a professional manner. He did not endear himself to teammates maybe the way some guys have. And there are others who have defended him and his locker room presence and said that that wasn't an issue. That's fine. But, you know, if everything really is truly hunky-dory, you don't have unnamed players like Alshon Jeffrey spilling things to reporters. So, obviously, he had a lot of faults. As a, as a player on and off the field in that regard. If you want to criticize him for that, that's fine. But to to do it from a standpoint of like, like, like he bashes Philly because he, he made a comment in a story about being happy to go to the Midwest where his wife's family is and, and where he's from. Like, duh. Like, if somebody moved here from another team, you would expect them to say the same stuff. Right. You wouldn't want him to say, oh, you know, I'm a West Coast guy like Bryce Harper. He, he may have gone a little too far with the Philly love. But if he came out here from Vegas, right, or he was in D.C., but if he came out here as a kid from Vegas, like, you know, you know, the, the, the East Coast really isn't my bag. I don't really like the Northeast, but, you know, I like money and I like playing baseball. So, you know, hey, Philly, what's up? He would have been eviscerated. He would never have appeared in a game for the Phillies because he would have been put into witness protection. He went the other direction and treated Philadelphia like it's the greatest place on earth, which is right up the alley of people from Philadelphia. So he will forever be a favored son. Carson Wentz, clearly there wasn't a great connection there on a personal level, for for lack of a better way to put it. And that's fine, at least with me. I don't need my star athlete to to, to be the, the de facto mayor of Philadelphia, but to, to, to then like try this revisionist history of how we never really liked him. We never really like, no, you loved him when he was about to win the MVP award. You loved him when he was dragging the team to the playoffs last season. You just hated him when he stopped playing well and he started pouting about it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just call it what it is. I feel like I, I've, I've run the gamut since we started doing the show, since I started doing this specific speech from, from what I'm saying, but I will just sum it up by saying I'm glad that we don't have to deal with that drama anymore. 
I wish from a player standpoint that he was still here, but the other stuff outweighed the potential on the field and I'm ready to move on. Unfortunately, this is going to be a situation much like Chip Kelly, where the people in Philadelphia will never, ever let it go. I agree with you 100%. And I do want to clarify that my little snide remark from earlier was more of a shot at Jason Peters than Carson Wentz because Jason Peters is the one who's doing this fan narrative that just doesn't make any sense. And especially after the Jason way- Peters is more responsible for Carson Wentz leaving town than Eagles fans. I was Maybe about if to you say could that, block yeah. somebody, he wouldn't have played like such trash and he wouldn't have had to deal with all the other stuff. Exactly. And, you know, considering how Jason Peters, you know, used his capital with the organization to get a raise to just move a couple of feet further down the line and then play at an absolutely abysmal level, you know, it, and there was a point during Chip Kelly's regime where Jason Peters kind of quit on the team. I'm not, there's, I, I'm trying not to do this with him, but there's a, a part of his legacy that's going to be sorely affected by how he's played and really carried himself off the field in the last couple of years. And with what you were saying with Carson Wentz saying that going to Indianapolis, you're 100% correct. I remember when Scott Rowland was traded. Now here way, goes John with Scott Rowland again. Well, it was going to come up uh, when he goes to St. Louis and talks about how it's, you know, like heaven playing there. St. Louis is like baseball Disney World. They a had lot grass of play- back then and we did not. <laughs> That's a standard, you know, unto itself. Plus, they also had a winning team. We did not. Jason Worth went to Washington and talked about how this is the best team I've ever had. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, if Bryce Harper said that when he was coming here, we would have thought, wow, this is great. But no, we took the as some kind of personal affront. Honestly, most of those comments don't even matter. And, you know, I hope Carson Wentz is happy with the Colts. You know, obviously, I want Jalen Hurst to do better than Carson Wentz. But I I hold no ultimate grudge against him. And I hope there's a day he can come back to Lincoln Financial Field and we can at least remember his contributions to the, to the Super Bowl year and, you know, to last year's epic playoff run as well. That being said, I'm glad he's gone uh, so we can move on from the drama that's almost plagued him from day one. And I'm 100% behind whoever, you know, is throwing the ball around for the Eagles next year. John, the way the NFL scheduling matrix works, an AFC team will come here once every eight years or so. Whenever Carson Wentz makes his appearance in Philadelphia, I get the feeling that batteries are going to be sold out in the area in the week leading up to it. There is absolutely no way at all that Carson Wentz gets anything more than a smattering of applause. He will be booed as lustily as anyone. I mean, you saw Scott Rowland. We talked about it. You saw what happened to Jason Worth every time he came here in a Nationals uniform. There will not be the post-retirement putting on of the big red fist, everybody loves you again, that Jason Worth had. There, there will not be that with Carson Wentz. 
Carson Wentz has a ring. He did not win it here. That will be the argument. He, Nick Foles won him a ring. He didn't, even though that's not true. Like you said, he was a very important part of that season. But the way that this has gone down, he will never, ever be embraced or welcomed in this town. If there is a Super Bowl team reunion, he will be conspicuous by his absence. It is over and done any sort of goodwill from Eagles fans towards Carson Wentz. I, I promise you, there is no way that anyone ever gets over it. That said, Carson, if you want to come on the Boo Birds podcast, we'll be nice to you. I promise. Fun fact, I was at the J.D. Drew battery game. Well, yeah, that's what the arrest report said. Well, I mean, let's not go that far. I, <laughs> also, I, the J.D. Drew battery game, <laughs> as if there was only one. <laughs> look, the one that I was at, and by the way, I was sitting in the third deck behind the third baseline. I don't have arm John, strength. John, I've seen your arm. I've seen your arm. Which is why you know I did not <laughs> throw batteries that far. Well, while we're on the topic, let's uh, let's diverge from from what we're talking about. Off the top of your head, what is your greatest athletic achievement? Because making a throw of a battery from the third deck of the vet out to right field would would be it, no matter what else you've done in your life. But what would you say is your greatest athletic achievement? I mean, this podcast, of course. <laughs> No, I know I know what the answer actually is, but I'm I'm curious what you think the answer should be. I mean, I, I can't say it's an achievement because you've seen me play basketball in these venues poorly, but I've played basketball briefly on the floor of the Wells Fargo Center and the Palestra. Fun fact, we were kicked out of the Wells Fargo Center by UCLA coach, then UCLA coach Ben Howland. Well, that may be a story for another time, but... I, w- I want to tell the listeners about the time that I recruited you to come play some pickup soccer one day, and it was raining that day, but we we were at a turf field, and I remember this day vividly. It was the day of Game 3 of the 2008 World Series. You know, nobody was really doing anything that afternoon except nervously waiting around for the game, and you came over and you played soccer in the rain. I didn't think you were you know, much of a soccer guy, as we've learned over the last six months, you're not, but you know, you lived nearby. So I sent out the invitation and you came over like a good sport. At one point you trotted off the field over to a trash can into which you alleviated yourself of your lunch. And then you trotted right back into the game as if nothing had happened. It is truly one of the most spectacular athletic achievements I've ever seen I had never been party to a boot and rally like that before. So that is the one thing that I always think of when I think of, you know, perseverance and, and battling back. People talk about Willis Reed, you know, Carson Wentz played on, on one ACL for a little bit. John Sager yacked into a trash can and went right back into the pickup soccer game in the rain. I, I think, I think that should be on the Mount Rushmore of, of guttiest performances in sports history. Mine on the other hand, uh, I turned an unassisted triple play in T-ball, which was mostly born out of me knowing the rules of baseball and the other six-year-olds not knowing the rules of baseball. The concept of tagging up was lost on people. And then in college, my freshman year, I was on the intramural flag football team that my floor put together, and we were in a playoff game, and somehow I intercepted a pass 
while rushing a quarterback. There was a tip ball, landed right in my hands, and I took it all the way back to the one-yard line before I got tackled. I almost had a pick six in an intramural flag football game. That and an unassisted triple play and T-ball are probably the top two. I- I'm also ignoring all of my bowling accomplishments because I mean, for whatever ac- reason, I think accomplishments I think, <laughs> is, is a, for whatever reason, sport. I think T-ball and, and flag football are probably more widely considered sports than bowling. But I, I don't know if I've mentioned on the podcast, I am a fairly good bowler, uh, but I mean, I'm not television good, but I, I, I'm fairly good. So I, I look at the others as, as much more athletic achievements. I don't know about you, but that's the way I see it. And maybe that gives some insight into why I was so impressed with your performance at that soccer game. I mean, I would make fun of, you know, bowling, quote unquote, achievements, but I once bowled at 22. So (laughs) I I don't think I should be one to speak. John, most nights I have 22 at the end of the first frame. (laughs) How old were you when this happened? You can get 22 in a single frame. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Most most people that know what they're doing will will, will get close to that every frame. How old were you when this happened? Uh, Old enough. (laughs) hold enough to do better all right well before we go completely off the rails let's take a break and then we'll come back and we'll uh we'll collect ourselves and we'll talk about actual professional athletes the nba trade deadline is coming up so we're going to talk a little sixers when we come back here on the boo birds podcast stick around here on the Boo Birds podcast. John, it's the middle of March, and with the exception of last year, that means one thing in the sports world, college basketball. So I thought we should take some time and talk about, of course, pro basketball, your Philadelphia 76ers at the time of recording atop the Eastern Conference. Last week, tough loss to the Bucks, blowout win over the Kings, and then an interesting game against the Knicks on Sunday night. Come away with the win. All of this without Joel Embiid, as you mentioned, the bone bruise that sent the, the entire Delaware Valley into minor heart arrhythmia at the site. Uh, I don't know if minor is the qualifier that I would use. <laughs> is there such a thing as like a minor heart thing? Some like they talk about like, oh, he suffered mild brain damage. I'm like, brain damage is brain damage. You know, you get grazed by a bullet. You've been shot. Like, I don't don't really think that certain things should be quantified as minor or major. I I think just by their definition, they're pretty major. But to turn a phrase, minor heart palpitations for everyone watching. I'm encouraged by the performance. I mean, you know, you could qualify and say, well, you know, the Kings were on the second half of a back-to-back. Well, you know what? I don't care. The Sixers still blew them out of the building in the first quarter without Joel Embiid and without Ben Simmons that night. And then the next night, they won a game that was a rock fight with the Knicks, which is basically what the Knicks do now under Tom Thibodeau. So I, that's what, to me, what, you know, I don't want to say what makes a champion, but that's what, that's what defines a team that goes deep, that, that, that succeeds, is that you can win a game 129 to 107 
and you can win a game 101 to 100 in overtime, and you can win a game where both teams are scoring in the 120s, 130s. You don't want to see that because of how good the Sixers generally are in defense, but I, I, I am encouraged by what I've seen the last two nights, and you know the, the schedule is supposed to be tougher later in the season, but I mean, there's no reason to think that they can't continue this. And then when Joel Embiid comes back, God willing, he's at 100%. I mean, and we're talking about this in the context of the trade deadline coming up, which we'll specifically address in a minute. But what, what's been your take on what you've seen out of the Sixers since the All-Star break? Well, I don't want to say that the Joel Embiid injury was a good thing, but how the team has reacted to it is a good thing. Because you're seeing guys come off the bench and the knock on the Sixers team, which is actually a fairly soft knock that you can make for just about any NBA team, is the bench. And we're seeing the guys on the bench truly rise to the occasion. And every night there's one or two different heroes, which is exactly what you want in a team. There are guys that are stepping up and you could tell they love playing with each other, which is no small thing in the NBA. Because a lot of times the teams that have the best chemistry, they are playoff ready, especially when you contrast that with the Brooklyn Nets, who might have chemistry issues when it comes down to who's taking the big shots when it matters. John, do you remember when LeBron James and Chris Bosh joined Dwayne Wade in Miami? I do. I believe that first year they started something like eight and nine and everyone was like, oh, oh, it's not going to work. Worked out just fine. If I'm a Nets fan, I'm not really worried about that right now. But as a Sixers fan, I know why you want that to be the case. And I want that to be the case. But I'm not really trying to put too much stock into it because, you know, we'll turn it on. Oh, and they'll drop 150 on somebody. And you'll be like, oh, well, I guess. uh, uh, So um, from that standpoint, I hear what you're saying. But I definitely think the Sixers chemistry so far has been a strength. Like over the weekend, we saw Shake Milton. He he had a he had a great weekend, and and Tobias Harris didn't have a great game for most of the night against the Knicks. Could have hit a free throw at the end of regulation that would have won the game and sent everyone home, or at least <laughs> sent them back to the hotel a little earlier before their trip out west. But he redeemed himself in overtime at a big three, went to the free throw line, took care of business. That that's another thing, you know, guys that that are able to battle through that sort of thing. But, you know, it's Shake Milton. You got Furkan Korkmaz coming in, hitting some big shots. Tied the game against Milwaukee with a second left the other night, if I recall correctly. Yes, and that shot was spoiled for me because my TV feed is a bit delayed because I have a streaming TV and not regular cable. So I was just glancing at Twitter during the commercial break and I saw someone made like an uncorked type of <laughs> reference and I went, oh, okay, well, I, I, I know what happened. And then I was happy when it happened, but I was more of the, okay, than, than I normally would have done. Similarly, I was in a, uh, like a group voice chat thing with some people and one of my friends was watching the game and I heard the reaction to the shot before I saw it on my TV. So I know how you feel. That's, that's a real issue these days. I don't know if you can remember all the way back to when we used to watch games with other people, What? like you go to someone's house and sit on their couch next to them, have some food, drink and watch a game. 
Uh, some of my uh, friends. The, these were the before times. The before times, yeah. <laughs> uh, BC, the, the new BC. Um, some of my friends do the the streaming thing, and uh, I have to I have to put Twitter down, you know, especially for like a big event like the Super Bowl. I remember going over to a friend's house to watch the Women's World Cup final in 2015, and you know, you know, the, the one friend she played soccer growing up. Big soccer fan was really excited. Her husband, also a friend of mine, their kids were in the middle of something when me and my other friend got there. So they turned the broadcast on and paused it, get the kids all squared away. I was like 10 minutes behind the rest of the world. Carly Lloyd is scoring goals from midfield. So you get a hat trick. And like, I could see Twitter starting to blow up. I'm like, what is going on? What is going on? And ever since then, like, I, I honestly like can't do that whole second screen experience unless I'm by myself. Because of that exact thing, that has nothing to do with anything that we were actually talking about. We've gone off on a couple of tangents tonight, but that's fine. Bringing it back to the Sixers, though, the team chemistry—you know—you see guys. The one thing that, that I always love to see is when the players get into the dumb promotions. And in this particular case, I'm talking about Dwight Howard with the frosty freeze-out. John, I was actually in a Wendy's drive-through line when the frosty freeze out occurred the other night against Sacramento, which was, was very meta to me. Uh, but to see the clip of Dwight Howard celebrating, you see guys get into it. I, I, I think that's a good thing. Ultimately it's a thing that probably doesn't matter, but to me, I like seeing that, you know, we talked about how it's not important for players to like the fans or, or like Philadelphia, but you know, it does make you feel good when, when they seem to be having fun in the town they're in, you know? I agree with you. However. Uh-oh. Are you about to come out against the Frosty Freeze-Out? No. That would have been the stupidest take in show history. <laughs> or the fries that were also awarded to the fans by the same exact player. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving, the missed free throw. Dwight Howard drives me crazy Especially when he's starting in place of Joel Embiid, and I realize there is a there is a gap between the player who should be the MVP of the NBA, Dwight Howard, who is the backup center. However, Dwight Howard's probably going into the Hall of Fame. He's played a couple of basketball games before. He does things that drive me insane while I watch a game, and. It's, I, you'd think someone would know better. And I, when he, when he signed here, granted, it was only for a million dollars. I understand it was great value signing. However, he is a five, what I like to think of as a 500 player, someone who's going to do things that cost you in games and do things that help you win games. And then you hope you just break even overall <laughs> from the total experience. Case in point, he is second in the NBA in goaltending. <laughs> How can you do that as a backup center? Now, the counter to that is that, he, I'm sorry, he's tied for a second. The counter to that is that James Wiseman leads the NBA in goaltending and has played, I believe, only about 29 games so far. <laughs> so, you know, that is, that is a bizarre stat. But James Wiseman has a lot less pro basketball experience than Dwight Howard Constantly seeing him arguing fouls, getting technicals, 
when he should know better and it's cost the team. It, it's going to cost the team at some point in the playoffs. That being said, he's rebounded well. He does what Dwight Howard does. He's rebounded well. He's made some very athletic looking dunks. It, you know, he seems to be one of the reasons that the team's chemistry is so good just because he, he does have so much enthusiasm. But, you know, maybe, maybe it's because it's the regular season and he's just going out there and playing with abandon and having fun. But it, it, it just drives me crazy. I don't think the team is going to make a move for a, a backup center, even though I think the team is noticeably defensively worse when Embiid's not in the lineup, which is an easy statement to say when you have one of the best players in the league. And yeah, you're he, not you really know, going out on a limb there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's not a hot take. But, you know, especially with Tony Bradley actually being somewhat of a revelation right, right. in the last couple of weeks. Daryl Morey strikes again. You know, credit to where it's due. You know, he's made some very good value signings. But I just, on the record, I'm not saying that they should trade Dwight Howard, trade for a backup center. On the record, he's going to have me go on a rant at some point in the playoffs with something just dumb that he did on the floor. I was going to say, at some point, I think you're doing it right now. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I, I think it's interesting that we're complaining here about Dwight Howard goaltending when Flyers fans are also complaining about goaltending, I would think, right now. Maybe Dwight Howard's just looking for a, a side hustle. I mean, he's, he's tall enough. <laughs> and he is Superman. You know, maybe, you know, glasses on, glasses off. You know, he, he could do <laughs> he that. He went a little more Superman and a little less uh, Clark Kent. <laughs> possibly, possibly. Well, you're talking about the Sixers maybe making a move. And I agree. I, I don't see them making a move for a big man necessarily. But obviously the the much talked about piece right now is Kyle Lowry playing for the Tampa Bay Raptors. And he is widely expected to move. And, you know, it's it's Monday night right now. And, and today it came out, it's the Sixers in the Heat are the leaders for Lowry. And, and Toronto, you know, they're in the driver's seat. Ultimately, it seems like Kyle Lowry's in the driver's seat. If he wants to go one place over the other, they'll they'll make it happen for him. He's probably, you know, gonna have his number retired in Toronto at some point. He he said he wants to end his career as a Raptor, even on a one day contract. So they're gonna do right by him. Now, does he want to come home? I don't know, but the price tag is gonna be pretty steep. Two questions. One, do you think that Daryl Morey and Elton Brand pull the trigger and get Kyle Lowry later this week? Two, do you think they should pay the price that Toronto wants? I'm not so sure that they will pull the trigger on that because I think they like what they have. That being said, if the price does come down, which it, it probably won't, you know, I would love to see Kyle Lowry, whether it is next year after his free agent period or, you know, this even this year in a Sixers uniform. But I don't think they should trade, you know, the kit and the caboodle just to just to get him here, because I like what this team has. One of the things that has been sort of thrown out into the Twitterverse as 
possible, you know, trade fodder for for the Raptors is a you know obviously a truckload of picks. Which, if it's just first round picks, fine. But yeah, I have no problem giving away draft picks because the idea is this is someone that's going to make your team better and win you a championship, and you'd give away all your draft picks for a title. It's it's and I think I know where you're going with this. It's the it's the player capital that's an issue. You know, the right. names we've heard bandied about, you know, Danny Green, we hear about Tyrese Maxey, and just like with James Harden, sometimes Matisse Thibel's name comes up. And I, I think I'm with you in that regard that I think that on the whole, I'd rather see them keep those guys, but I'm also really tempted to think, you know, if Kyle Lowry can be a piece that wins him a title this year, then I don't care about Tyrese Maxey or Matisse Thibel. Tell me why I'm wrong. The reason why you're wrong is the big picture, you know, and the NBA is total. The best analogy I've ever heard about the NBA is uh, you don't, you know, four quarters don't make a dollar to where, you know, that star player does make a difference over depth. It's different than, you know, football or baseball. But I think the Sixers have two budding stars that would probably have to, you know, it one, if not both of them would have to go, you know, and along with Danny Green, just because of salary purposes, to the Raptors, you know, Matisse Thibel is probably the name I'm most reluctant to trade. But I see both of them as people who can extend this team. And I think we can both agree that there's a, a limited window with Joel Embiid playing healthy and at the top of his game, maybe just for a couple of years. But how do you extend that window? It's with guys like Maxi and Thibault stepping up and evolving as players. Now, for me, I think Tyrese Maxey definitely has to work on his outside game, but I see him as being a solid contributor, you know, in, I believe, a contending NBA team. He definitely also has a lot of energy. Speaking of energy, Matisse Thibault, I think he's untradeable. I would not trade him at all. I think his his defense is obvious to anyone who watches He's just an impact player, almost in the same way that Ben Simmons is an impact player. Obviously, not quite as potent on the offensive side of the ball. But you, you can see it starting to come together where he's becoming more of the, you know, three part of the three and D over the last couple of weeks. You know, going into this week, he's second in the NBA and blocked three pointers. That's not a small thing, especially in a league where, you know, teams shoot with such, you know, incredible proficiency from beyond the arc. He is eighth in steals per game. Keep in mind, he's a bench player who's, you know, playing about 20 minutes a game. Right, right. You know, his his fouls per game, which was something I was worried about last year because he did have the tendency to, to foul out or get four to five fouls, you know, it seems pretty quickly. Uh, it's about the same, which kind of surprised me because it seems like he's a little bit more disciplined with that this year. Overall, I love what I've seen over the last month or so, month, two months to be exact, of his game evolving. In the 22 games since February 3rd, he's shooting at an even 40% from the three-point arc, 48% from from the floor overall, his free throw percentage still, which is to me always the mark of a true shooter, uh, you know, still not great at 50%. But 
you know, he's getting, you know, an assist per game. He's getting, you know, one and a half steals per game and a block per game. You know, that's that's pretty impressive for a guy where I don't know if he's ever going to be, you know, 15 point a game guy. But, you know, if he can give you that defensive production, you know, I'll take this offensive evolution we've had. And I look forward to seeing what he can do after a full offseason to develop with coaches in person. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really concerned at all about the free throw shooting thing because that's not really a big part of his game. You know, as a defensive, you know, you talk about a three and D guy, three guys don't generally get fouled so much. It happens, but I'm not really worried about whether he's going to convert a lot from the free throw line, you know, get those three point shooting numbers up. And you mentioned the 40% shooting 48% overall that that's important. You know, the, the, the part of the problem the Sixers have had in some games is that the second unit has not been able to carry stretches of the game without MB, without Simmons, or without Tobias Harris. So to have guys like Thibel and Maxi and, and Dwight Howard, whether you like it or not, <laughs> performing well, you know, obviously important for every team. You got to have eight, nine guys that you can roll out there come playoff time. I understand what you're saying about being untradeable or, you know, th- these are guys you want to hang on to. And the argument to me is just that, you know, it's a trade-off. Do you want to, you know, double your chances to win the title this year and then be in a bind the next couple of years or decrease your chances for the title this year, but keep them the same over the next three or four years? And that's, I mean, that's ultimately the decision that Daryl Morey and Elton Brand have to make. We want to win the title every year as fans, but, you know, with Simmons and Embiid and, and Harris – on big contracts, young guys who are not on big contracts like Maxi and Thibel, you know, a guy like Furkan Korkmaz, you know, we see Paul Reed was just named the MVP of the G League. You know, guys like that, those are the guys you have to hit on when you're picking them and when you're signing them. And those are the guys that are really going to make up the meat of you're talking about extending a championship window. So I, I definitely agree with the idea of not wanting to trade those guys. It's just a matter of if you think Kyle Lowry is the piece that will put you in the best position to go to the finals. You can't even, I mean, it has to be really about getting to the finals. Obviously, the goal is to win it, but you got to get there. And whatever happens in that case, it's a short series. Whatever happens, happens. But if you think that Kyle Lowry is that last piece and that, what he will bring to your team can make up for everything you're losing this year and next year and in 2023 with what you give up, then you have to pull the trigger. I don't know if that's the case, you know, and no one pays me to know, right? That's Daryl Morey's job. That's Elton Brand's job. That's the scout's job. I believe Rocket Mortgage may or may not be paying us to know. (laughs) Call me Rocket Mortgage. I think that like on the surface, I don't want to trade those guys away. But deep down, if you don't, Kyle Lowry goes to Miami. God forbid they beat the Sixers in a playoff series or or they make it back to the finals or the conference finals again. It's going to be the same kind of thing that we felt after Kawhi Leonard's shot went in in 2019. You're going to spend the entire summer like, oh, man, really? Should we? Could we? Did? Oh, man. 
But I don't think you can run an NBA franchise based on thoughts of potential regret. And you can't even have regret at all. You know, you have to make an informed decision and live with the consequences. I would guess, since I asked you, will they and should they, I would guess that they will not. Not for lack of trying. From from things I've seen, things I've read, sounds like Kyle Lowry would like to play with Jimmy Butler. Maybe more than he would like to play with Embiid and Simmons and Harris. But I would not be the least bit surprised if come free agency during the offseason, he signs maybe a two, three-year relatively cheap deal and joins the Sixers. You know, it's not a super team sort of thing, but if he wants to win, signing up with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris, that's not a bad idea, right? And who'd have thought a year ago that we'd be saying this about Tobias Harris, that he could be a key part in a championship-caliber Sixers team, the way things were going last year. But the way he's played this year, he is absolutely a you know third superstar type player that you you need in today's NBA and a guy like Kyle Lowry if he wants to win this this is a place that he should want to come you know it would be tough to begrudge him living again in in Miami if that's where he wants to be but i would guess if 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 you're going to pin me down to a prediction i will say he's traded to Miami and then seriously considers if not actually signs a contract with the Sixers in the offseason for two, three years, whatever it is, maybe just a one-year deal, and tries to take a run at a title, a la, you know, what Gary Payton and Carl Malone did. Now he's already won one, so he doesn't really have the desperation, but as he's getting to the end of his career, it might be nice to play at home, win, have a chance to win multiple titles with the hometown team, then sign your one day as a Toronto Raptors legend, hopefully with a ring for each hand. And as I sort of dream to that future lineup with Kyle Lowry in it, I'm reminded of the one reason why I also don't want this team to be broken up. There's a good chance that the Sixers and the Nets square off at some point in the playoffs. The Sixers don't have the offensive firepower to to run with the Nets. No one really does. But you know, their edge is in defense. They're an elite defensive team who's very good offensively. The Nets are an elite offensive team that is not very good defensively. And, you know, I see Matisse as someone who could absolutely be an X factor in that series. And I don't want to see him you know, be given up because he can he can be that type of player. And even more, when I, when I look down the road to next year when we could be talking about the Sixers and Nets facing off again, could you imagine a team with Embiid playing at a high level and, you know, elite defensively, Ben Simmons playing at an elite level, Thibault playing at an elite level defensively, and Kyle Lowry? You know, that's, that's also not just you know, a great team. That's a team that has a tremendous chip on its shoulder and an attitude. Like that's a very feisty team. You oh, know, yeah. Kyle, you know, you know, Kyle Lowry being the, you know, the Philly guard that he is, he would, you know, fit in so well with that, you know, the emphasis on defense they have. You know, I, I almost would be disappointed if he doesn't sign here 
now that I'm starting to think of the possibility of, you know, a packed Wells Fargo Center, you know, just losing its mind when, you know, they have lockdown defense on a soft Nets team. I mean, yeah, I, I can imagine that too. And and just the, the defensive effort that they would put out there would be, would, would be, you know, akin to what you have to do to stop the Nets. That's another reason why I'm not so eager to let go of Danny Green right now either. You know, like, why did you bring him in here if it wasn't to maybe make some big shots and make some big stops in the playoffs, right? Like, that's that's the kind of guy that you're hoping to get out of him. So to trade him and Thibel away? Like, aren't you kind of hoping that Matisse Thibel turns into maybe an even better version of Danny Green as you develop him? So to give away those guys, it seems... It seems like you could probably just sit tight for this year and maybe maybe you lose in the conference finals, maybe you beat the Nets, who knows what happens, especially with with COVID and injuries being a thing you never know. But I tend to to think that the future is the way to go, but I really don't know that I could complain if they make the deal. Ultimately, I think it's moot. I don't think it'll work out for the Sixers. I don't think you went on the record. Do you think it happens in the next few days? No, I don't think it happens. Well, we agree. Kyle Lowry, if you're listening, we'll see you in the offseason. You are more than welcome to join us here in Philadelphia as we hopefully live out the, the culmination of the process and begin this budding rivalry with the Nets. Well, I mean, now that we've talked about this, I'm all hyped for the playoffs. Let's get into the one through eight playoff projections and how we see that, you know, this thing is all going to pan out. Why don't we instead not do that tonight with still what, a month and a half left in the season, at least? Oh, why future we, content, right. <laughs> why don't we put that off until it's a little bit closer to playoff time? I think we should just call it a night, John. I, I know you're itching to talk about this. So a reminder to everybody... Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. John has a Chase Utley bobblehead doll that is just dying to be shipped out. We keep pushing back the the deadline as as we've had to take a couple of breaks. John, what is the drop dead last day that folks can leave a review to be eligible for your Chase Utley bobblehead giveaway, United States residents only? Next Sunday, the winner will, will be revealed in next week's episode. So again, we appreciate the ratings, but a review. So that way we know who is leaving, you know, the high praise that I'm sure you will be giving us. So we will read that name out and then you can contact us and we will send you the bobblehead doll. Might I remind, as Joe said, U.S. residents only. So get your reviews in by Sunday, March 28th. And then when we record next week, we will announce a winner Whoever wins the prize, I'm asking you to donate it back to John so that he gets to keep it. But make him ship it to you first. Make him go through the motions. That's all I ask. That that would make me the true winner, I think. So Jay Greenwich 26, uh, the, that <laughs> review that's on iTunes, you know, that, that is ineligible, I do want to say. John, I'm insulted that you would think that I wouldn't have a better, more easily hidden burner account. That doesn't have my own name in it. Come on, man. I mean, unless that's what I want you to think. Wheels within wheels, John. All right. I think we should get those wheels on the road. You can find us, as we mentioned, on Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, just about anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you have a platform where you can't find us, let us know. We'll get on there. We're on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, just search for Boobirds Podcast. And of course, boobirdspodcast.com is our website. We've got all of our episode posts, some written stories on there as well. John, it's good to talk to you again. Talk to you again next week. Hopefully, let's not make any promises. Let's say we plan to be back next week, and I look forward to talking to you then. I mean, it's opening day next week. We're definitely doing a podcast. (laughs) See you next time, John. See you next week.